0: So today what we're going to talk about is the gospel, the basics of how to share it. We're going to go through five sections. First is the natural to the spiritual, how to start the gospel conversation. Then sin and the law, the problem that men have with God. We'll go to judgment and hell, talk about God's justice. Four, the cross and the resurrection, God's great gift to us in the gospel. And finally, repentance and faith and what biblical salvation looks like. You're listening to a special episode of Dwell on Truth with Dan Bodwin preaching at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. You can watch the live stream video on their website going back to March 13th, 2022. And you could see Dan's sermon notes and resources at yoursoulmatters.org. This show is sponsored by generous Christians who are giving to open air campaigners in Northern California. So may God bless you as you dwell on the truths of the gospel today.
1: Second Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, do the work of an evangelist, do the work of an evangelist, and therefore fulfill your ministry. And so Dan, as you come, Dan is the director of Open Air Campaigners here in Northern California, And you can find him even in our own town down on Redwood City at the courthouse plaza there on a Friday night. Uh, Once in a while, he tries to get down there once a month and uh, has a board he sets up. and Phenomenal artwork, (laughs) a lot better than I could ever do. And a crowd of people there, and he preaches the gospel and hands out tracts. And uh, one comment he made this morning as he walked into our church, he said, Pastor, it's so great to see your Lobby full of tracks, <laughs> and uh, that's good. And so, Dan, we want you to come and just share what's on your heart this morning with us. Thank you, Pastor.
0: Good morning, everyone. Yes, it was a real encouragement to walk in and see all those tracks, and not only tracks, good tracks. <laughs> there are good and bad when it comes to gospel tracks, and the ones that He has out there that you guys have access to are. Are really good quality ones, some of my favorites. So, um, as Pastor Steve said, my name is Dan Bodwin, and I am with a group called Open Air Campaigners. We do indeed have information in the back. And what Open Air Campaigners is about is about taking the gospel message to the streets, to the public square, where people gather, rather than assuming they're going to come into a church. A lot of people are never going to darken the doors of a church. It's sad, but that's reality. And you know what? Their souls matter as well. We need to take the gospel to them where they are. So Open Air Campaigners has been about that since its founding. And we have our roots back in the 1890s in Sydney, Australia. So it's been around for a long time. Started there with a man who was a lawyer by trade and felt convicted about people not knowing the gospel message. And one day just picked his Bible up and went out to the docks across the street from his office and started preaching at the dock worker's. Apparently, it didn't go all that well the first time, <laughs> and that's going to happen sometimes, but that's okay. He persevered, and that ministry became known as Open Air Campaigners, so and now, we're now around the United States and in about 30 other countries, so and. With that in mind, and with what you shared in mind, please do be in prayer for Ukraine. We do have a branch in Ukraine, and our uh, branch director and his family are right near Kiev. And last time I heard, they were you know, just barricaded in their house, hoping a bomb didn't fall on top of them. Um, And if you want to get a little more idea of what's happening, what the church is doing in Ukraine, my ministry partner, um, Brenton Powers, and we do a radio show together, a weekly radio show called Dwell on Truth. He spent three years as a missionary in Ukraine. And a week ago, on a radio show, um, he interviewed by internet several pastors that are over there on the ground now in Ukraine And so, if you want to get an idea of what it's really like and what the church is doing to respond, I encourage you to check that out. I mean, I wasn't involved in that particular show. I just let him have it because that's his background, and I was hugely encouraged by it. So, I encourage you with that. So, today, what we're going to talk about is the gospel the basics of how to share it. For those of you who may be thinking about this and saying, okay, this guy's an evangelist, he goes out and does street preaching, I don't have a gifting in that area. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I didn't think I was called to be an evangelist either. For those of you who think you're too shy and too much of an introvert, I grew up extremely socially awkward. You know, very difficult making friends, very difficult. My my main goal was don't do anything that's embarrassing. To the point where even after I was married, If I was watching a TV show or a movie where one of the characters was in an embarrassing situation, sometimes it bothered me so much I had to get up and leave the room. So what I do, I don't do in my own strength. I really don't. If I can do this by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit, any one of you can as well. That doesn't mean you're called to be an evangelist, but every Christian is called to share the gospel. And any one of you is welcome to come out and join me on the streets and kind of get some experience. And, and hey, go out there, make all your mistakes with strangers you're never going to see again. <laughs> then you'll be better prepared for those situations with family and friends and people at work and things like that. So what I'm planning to do today is give you guys some introductory information, um, some things about the approach, some important points, and then I'm going to give you a short gospel presentation, and then we're going to pull it apart piece by piece and talk about each piece and how to share them. Um, There will be... Um, questions, I'm sure. I'm going to cover as much as I can, and I'm going to try to be sensitive to time. I could talk about this for hours. I won't. Don't worry. Um, But if you have any questions that don't get answered, please come and talk to me afterwards. And I'll also be uh, willing to share more about my ministry, talk about you guys coming out onto the street, how to partner with us financially. But we can talk about that later. Right now, I want to encourage you. Many of you know the gospel, but knowing it and presenting it are two different things. And the things that I'm going to share are things, are ideas that I have learned through many years of street ministry. I started in 2008. I've seen some stuff from Ray Comfort out there. If you haven't been through Ray Comfort's evangelism material, pick up a book, pick up some... Go ahead and use it. It's some of the best stuff out there. And I actually started in evangelism by going down to L.A. and training with him and his team. And so really, really could not um, recommend him enough. So two key points I'm going to start with. Number one, salvation is a supernatural work of God. It is something that we are involved in by His grace, but it's not something that we do. Oh, before I go further, um, for those of you taking notes, wonderful. Also know that all the notes from my sermon today are available for you to download on my website. YourSoulMatters.org is my website, because it does. And if you go to the sermon notes and resources on there, there is going to be a short, like half, eight and a half by eleven, uh cheat sheet that you can download and print, and there will also be complete sermon notes from today. So don't stress if you can't write everything down. You can just listen and download everything later. Yeah, yoursoulmatters.org. So salvation is a supernatural act of God, and so is evangelism. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It's something that we do through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Romans 1.16, of course, tells us that it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. It is the preaching of the gospel. It is a supernatural activity. So, because it's a supernatural activity, we need to make sure that we are supernaturally and spiritually prepared. That means you need to be in the Word, you need to know your Bible well, and you need to be in prayer. So, don't go into battle without your armor on. And let me tell you, sometimes it is battle out there. Number two, unbelief is not primarily an intellectual issue. It's not. It's moral and spiritual. Now, People do have sincere questions that they ask that can be answered intellectually, but the problem is spiritual. This is important. Um, Romans 1 talks about people suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth because they love their sin. We all do that to a certain extent. I like Ephesians 2, um, the first few verses. This is the Apostle Paul talking to believers, reminding them of what they were like before they were believers. And he says this. Um, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it is primarily spiritual. Intellectual arguments do have their place. I mean, God was not obligated to give us any evidence for his existence, was he? But he did. He chose to. It's a gift of his, uh, from him to us. And God does use apologetics and good arguments in changing hearts. So don't jettison those, but just realize that it's spiritual at core. And because of that, You know, God is mighty to save, and we see him work in amazing ways, but we also see that sometimes there are conversations that you have to let go, and that's okay. Um, You guys have probably run into some of those, and where people are not willing to listen, they are spiritually blind... Sometimes you just have to leave those in God's hands. Don't, as Jesus talked in, I believe it was uh, Matthew chapter 5, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. There are some times when evangelism can be throwing your pearls before pigs. I'm really stubborn. It takes a long time for me to get there. But just keep that in mind. That is not something that's wrong. You're not failing because the other person will not hear the message. Your responsibility in evangelism, whether it's on the streets or in personal evangelism, is not to get the person to come to church. It is not to convince them to say a prayer. Your responsibility and success in evangelism is defined by one word, faithfulness. You are responsible to be faithful. You are responsible to preach the gospel faithfully and accurately. Leave the rest to God. So two big points. Please remember those. Now let's talk a little bit about the approach, the kind of what to do and what not to do when you're sharing the gospel. Um, First, the gospel is not a sales pitch. It's not just a presentation. It's a conversation. It's not backing somebody into a corner and going through a list of bullet points. It's much more than that. So make it conversational. Be friendly. Be personable. Be genuine. Um, You don't need lots of time, or this is important. Have you guys heard the phrase, you need to earn the right to share the gospel? I know what most people think when they say that. They're talking about being nice, making sure that the person doesn't just think you're trying to sell them something. But you do not need to earn the right to do something God has commanded you to do. It is a responsibility. And you know what? You can start... A relationship a friendship in a matter of a few minutes you know if you go about it right it's amazing i've shared the gospel with people on the street and started conversations just out of nowhere with a gospel track a few words and within five or ten minutes have people pouring out their deepest secrets to me and that's the work of the spirit god will do that trust him to do that trust him to open those doors um do remember this the gospel is going to offend people that's okay Expect that going in, but that does not give you the right to be unnecessarily offensive. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Nobody likes that. So be careful in your approach. Be kind in your approach. Remember what 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that was in you, but with what? Gentleness and Respect. Really, really important. Um, next point, also an important one. Don't use Christian cliches. Every group, whether it's Christian or whether it's uh, you know a job that you're in or maybe a sport you're into or whatever, we have our own little languages, our own little sayings that generally don't make sense to somebody outside our group. Which means if you're talking to somebody with... Very little Christian background, and my friends in the Bay Area, there are more and more of those people that don't have a biblical foundation, you're going to say stuff that makes no sense. Think about this. Somebody comes up to you on the street and says, brother, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? That's a powerful truth. We all know that truth. But for somebody who doesn't know the bu- you want what? Blood? Dead animals? What are you talking about? Do I need to get some kind of protective order? It doesn't make sense to them. Use plain language that they're going to be able to understand. Keep that in mind. That's going to really confuse people. How many people have studied other religious groups? Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholicism, stuff like that, Hinduism... When you talk to somebody from one of those backgrounds, and it will often come up early in the conversation, don't talk to a group. Talk to a person. If you talk to somebody who has a Mormon background, for instance, you may think that you have an idea what Mormons believe. But if you have talked to more than a couple of them, their beliefs are all over the place. About the only group that there is some consistency person-to-person is Jehovah's Witnesses because they use the same text and the same teaching tools worldwide. But anyone else, talk to the person. Spend time finding out where they're actually at. And that will give you more information to continue the conversation. So talk to the person, not to the group. Ask a lot of questions and let the other person talk. That's really important in your approach. Be a good listener. Jesus... For all the truth he had to share was a good listener and asked lots of questions. We should follow that example. And finally, before we go into the meat of the gospel, gospel tracts. I am a huge fan of gospel tracts. Don't leave home without them. I mean it. I mean, just tuck a few into your pocket or into your purse to keep with you. They are a great way to break the ice and start a conversation we've already had one quote from Spurgeon today i'm going to give you another one he said when preaching and private talk are not available you need to have a tract ready good striking tracts get good striking tracts or none at all but a touching gospel tract may be the seed of eternal life therefore do not go out without your tracts and the tracts that are in the back all good stuff good content good quality 90% of them i've read some people will want to save money by like, printing something out on their computer at home and cutting it out with a pair of scissors. You know, I understand wanting to save money, but tracks are not that expensive, and a little scrap of paper may have the best of intentions, but more often than not, it's going to end up either shoved in the bottom of the purse or in a garbage can or on the ground. Get something nice, something quality, something interesting that's eye-catching. Those are much more likely to be kept and read, so... Once again, you've got a huge amount out there. Um, Using your personal testimony. Is that a good thing to do in a witnessing encounter? Yeah. If it's done right. We've all heard, or at least heard the stories of bad testimonies. You know, where the person just goes over the top to express how bad they were. And how good they are now with just a little bit of help from God. But mostly from what they did. You know these kind of things that we're talking about, right? You've heard them before. The testimony that you give should be like the worship songs we sang this morning. Focused on God, not on man. It's about what God did and his power and salvation and his grace and his goodness. Yes, God changed some people dramatically. He changed me dramatically. But it's the power of God that is where the real power is in the testimony. So, we've talked about some approaches. Now we're going to start going through the gospel. But of course, you have to know it in order to be able to share it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a short gospel presentation similar to what I would do on the street. And this I particularly do with uh, someone who is a professing Christian. I'm not saying they're not, I don't know. Somebody says there are are a lot of people that say Christians, when you start talking to them, they've got no clue about the gospel. But I don't want to start there and assume the bad things, so I say, well, if somebody were to come up to you, say a friend of yours who knows that you believe in God, they've got a knife in their back, they're bleeding out, they've got three minutes to live, they say, I'm going to die, I know you know something about God, I don't, and I know I've done bad things, and I'm scared." what should I do? What would you tell them? I let them talk a little bit. And sometimes there's no clue. Sometimes there's the pieces of the gospel, but it's clear that they just don't know how to put them together. That's okay. And then I'll say, well, you've shared, could I share with you how I would say it? And this is what I'll say. This person that's bleeding out, in a few minutes, you're going to stand before the God who made you. And you will have to give an account for every thought, word, and deed. Everything that you did that you shouldn't. Everything you didn't do that you should have. And even the thoughts and intents of your heart. And when you stand before God, he is going to judge you according to his law. And scripture says that we should not lie. But all of us have. And it says that all liars have their part in the lake of fire. It says you shall not steal. I've done that. And it says, no thief will inherit the kingdom of God. But once again, it's not just actions, it's even thoughts. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, anyone who looks with lust commits adultery in their heart. So by that standard, every one of us is guilty. And God is a good judge who must punish sin. But he's also a good and loving father. And he demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came to this earth, lived the perfect life that we should have lived but never could, and then died the death that we deserved on the cross, shed his blood so we wouldn't have to shed ours. Then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving his power over sin and death, proving who he claimed to be, And now he is at God's right hand. He's in a place of authority as our our advocate or our lawyer for Judgment Day. So if you will do two things, they're really two sides of the same coin. If you will turn from your sin, not perfect behavior, but a change in our direction, a change in who we follow, and trust Jesus Christ alone, who he is and what he did, then on Judgment Day, instead of God looking down and seeing your sin, he will see Christ's perfect righteousness instead. So that's a basic gospel presentation. Let's look at each of those sections and, and I encourage you to try to put together a presentation like this yourself. When I started doing street evangelism, I used to do something called crosswalk preaching. I would go down to the uh, outside the Sharks Arena in downtown San Jose and we would have people coming in to go to the Sharks game and you would get 50 people at a time gathered on the corner ready to go across and go in the front door. And you'd have about three minutes before the light would change. So you do a two-minute gospel presentation, wait for a few people. Two-minute gospel, they go across, new group comes in, same two-minute gospel. And I used to practice that in the car. And the advantage of that is, because witnessing conversations don't always go in the order that you want them to. By practicing that way, you get the basics down so solid that... If you get thrown off course in a conversation, you're, you can think, and, oh, I know where I need to go back to, and you can pick up right where you left off. Very valuable skill to have. I encourage you guys to do that. Just while you're driving, you know, time yourself. Two-minute conversations or while you're in the car. So we're going to go through five sections. First is the natural to the spiritual, how to start the gospel conversation. Then sin and the law. We'll talk about the problem that men have with God. We'll go to judgment and hell, talk about God's justice and the punishment we deserve. Four, the cross and the resurrection, God's great gift to us in the gospel. And finally, repentance and faith and what biblical salvation looks like. So first, natural to the spiritual. How do you start a conversation? Not as hard as you think. Spiritual subjects come up all the time in conversation. What you need to do is train yourself to listen for them. For instance, if somebody says uh, a statement like, you only live once, does that have spiritual implications? Absolutely. Well, yeah, we only live once. What do you think comes next? What do you think comes after this life? Nice, simple question. Not offensive, not accusatory. Or, hey, it's better than the alternative. What is somebody talking about? Well, I'm still alive, even though I'm having a horrible day. Is it better than the alternative? kind of depends on where you go after you die, don't you think? Do you have any beliefs on that? I would love to hear about your spiritual background. Something like that. doesn't have to be overblown, over the top, you know, just conversational. This is one of the things that I think is important. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being direct, and we as Christians need to do something that I've been taking to calling decompartmentalization. You see, you've got one compartment over here, and this is how you talk to your Christian friends. And you get got another compartment over here, and this is how you talk to your secular friends. Why shouldn't those two be joined? Why can't you be the Christian you all the time? Not over the top, not banging people over the head with the gospel every time you get a chance, but just be the Christian you. If somebody says something that's bothering them, you know, hey, I was listening to this sermon the other day, and, and I think some of the things that I heard could be encouraging to you in this situation. Could I share those with you? You know, Or, ah, I was going to go political, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> because there are theological implications to political actions that are going on now, we know that. But then that adds another layer, anyway. Um, but we want to listen to those things that people say that have spiritual in- in implications and use those as opportunity to start a friendly, relaxed conversation that may lead to ultimate truths that make sense yeah so really work on that think about how can i make the christian me and the secular me how can both of those be integrated all the time and see what god does god in my case has given me some amazing opportunities to share gospel truth in work environments i still work part-time so natural to the spiritual let's talk about sin and law we got to start with an important biblical truth, and that is we are by nature, we human beings by nature have a problem with God. We are lawbreakers. We need to talk about God's law. And an important point to remember that can throw us off, because it throws unbelievers off, is that God's law is not arbitrary. He didn't just decide on a set of laws and put them there for no reason. It's like, let's see how many hoops we can get these people to jump through. It's not like that. Every law that is in Scripture is going to go back, I believe, to one of two things, the nature and character of God and his design and purpose in making us. Think about Ten Commandments. Why is lying wrong? God is a God of truth. We are his image bearers. When we lie, we do not reflect him as we should. Why is stealing wrong? Once again, we are image bearers of God God is our provider. We should trust in him for what we need. And when we steal, we take from somebody else who is also an image bearer and hurt them. Why is homosexuality wrong? That's a tough one. No, not really. God created gender and sex as beautiful things. Sex is his idea. And it is to be enjoyed within a particular context. And he knows how it was designed. He knows what, how it, things are supposed to be used. And it's supposed to glorify him. So if we look at sin that way, it is really helpful. So what does God say that he is like? This is really important. And i like to go to Exodus 34. We know the story. Moses gets the Ten Commandments from God. He's at the top of the mountain. Moses says, I want to see your face. God says, no, I'm too glorious. You'll die. He's hidden in the cleft of the rock with God's hand over him, and he passes by. And then it says a really interesting little passage. It says, then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God is saying, this is what I'm like. And what did he say? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but who will by no means leave the guilty Unpunished, so he is good and loving, but he is also perfectly just. Every sin will be paid for perfectly. So that's what God says he like, he is like. What does he say we are like? We are by nature wicked and rebellious. Go back to Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three that we read earlier. We are by nature children of wrath, and this is that truth of God's nature and our nature is what we need to show sinners. So we need to use the law to bring the knowledge of sin. We need to demonstrate to the sinner that what the Bible says is true. That's what the law is for. The law is not to get us right with God. The law isn't about obedience. It's like a mirror that shows us ourselves in truth. Think about it this way. You get up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, you look at yourself in the mirror to see what kind of damage has been done during the night, right? The mirror shows you the problem. The mirror doesn't solve the problem. You don't look at the mirror and say, oh man, my face is messed up and rub it around. No. The mirror shows you the problem and then you go to the water to wash. The mirror of God's law shows the sinner his or her problem. So they see their need to go to the blood of Jesus Christ to wash. Problem, solution. So that's what we use the law for. Galatians 3.24 says it this way. So the law was put in charge, or in some translations it says a schoolmaster. The law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Or Romans um, 3.19-20. through Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law. And don't be afraid to talk about sin. Don't be afraid to make people feel guilty. They'll feel guilty because they are guilty. We are all guilty before God. So the gospel means good news, but we need to make sure that We share the bad news because the good news is not going to make sense without the bad news. You know, a person's not going to take a cure for a disease unless they know that they have the disease. And sin is a disease. So speak to the conscience. Romans 2.15 says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. A really key point when we're going through the law how many of you know the Ten Commandments more or less if you don't have to say them in order but you know the Ten Commandments how many of you have broken all ten anyone else <laughs> so when you're sharing the gospel one of the best ways to keep in my experience to keep the other person from being offended is to be self-reflective it's not have you ever told a lie before it's a, have you told a lie Yeah, me too. I'm guilty of that. Have you ever stolen anything, even if it's small? Yeah, I've done that too. Have you ever looked with lust? Yeah, I've done that as well. And my wife's sitting in the back of the room. But we have to be real about this. We don't want this person to feel like you're standing there pointing a finger at them saying, you have a problem. No, you're standing next to them saying, brother, sister, we've got a problem. Let's look at the solution together. So be, be self-reflective. And just go through the commandments. We, lying, stealing, lusting. Have you ever h- hated somebody? Scripture says anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life in him. Have you ever had a false idea of God? Or made a God to suit yourself? Or turned some earthly thing and made it more important than God? That's idolatry. Have you ever used God's name lightly? Or in place of a curse word? That's blasphemy. And so go through each of these. Don't condemn them. Let God's word condemn them. They're being judged by God's word, not by us. Make sense? Good. So the use of the law, once again, Ray Comfort's material on this is the best out there. You know, if you haven't gone online and listened to Hell's Best Kept Secret, you can listen to it for free. Please do. So that's sin and law. Let's talk about judgment and hell. What God's justice looks like. Hell is a difficult thing to talk about. And you know what? It should be. It should bother us. It should bother us because people are really going there. It shouldn't be easy. So ask the question, if God were to judge you by this standard, his law, would you be innocent or guilty? Guilty. That's right. Me too we have the same problem. If God were to judge you by that standard, would you go to heaven or hell? Where do we deserve to go? Hell. Some people will say heaven. Well, why? Well, I'm not that bad a person. God knows my heart. Have you ever thought about that? God does know your heart. That's not good news. That's bad news. The analogy I like to use is uh, the hard drive analogy. Imagine this. I'll put myself on the hot seat. Imagine that somebody could hook up a hard drive to my brain and download every secret thought for the last 48 hours. I don't know what the person does with it, but then Pastor Steve invites me to a movie night at the church. So everybody gathers, and I invite my friends and family. It's going to be a fun time. I've got my soda and my popcorn. And the title scrolls across the screen, Dan's Thought Life. If that was you, would you be as uncomfortable as me? Would you want to move to outer Mongolia so nobody that's met you will ever see you again? Yes, because the things that go through our mind on our best day, there are things that go through our minds that are so vile we would not share them with our closest friends. And that's what is scrolling in front of God's eyes every minute of every day. Does, does that make you uncomfortable? It should. It should. And it's going to make the other person uncomfortable too. And once again, I like to put myself on the hot seat. so they can, But they're thinking about, what if this was me? What if this was me? Would I be comfortable? Oh, that's scary. So God is a good judge. So he must punish sin. God is perfect and holy. I like to use the courtroom analogies once again. Ray Comfort uses this in his material. Imagine somebody is guilty of rape and murder and gets brought before a human judge. Everybody knows he's guilty. The evidence is there. And he talks to the judge and says, yeah, I did those things. But you're a good judge. Could you just let me slide? Would he be a good judge if he let that go? No, he would be unjust. God is not only a good judge, but a perfect judge. And all sin, which is moral crimes, will be perfectly paid for. So ask the person, we all deserve hell. Does that concern you? There will be some people that will just laugh it off, but I would encourage you to go back and talk about the law again, talk about sin and the, the things that they've done. Reinforce that. And once again, there are some people that will, you may just have to let it go, but Try to encourage them. Give them a sense of urgency about the state of their soul. Scripture says, what does it profit a man if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? Another good analogy. Let me ask you this. If I were to come up to you and say, hey, I'd like to buy one of your eyeballs. I'll pay you a million dollars. We'll take it out. It will be completely painless. We'll give you a glass eye that will look just like a normal eye. It just won't look like a normal eye. Is somebody going to say, most people, I've had a few people that will say, yes, I'd sell one of my eyeballs, but very few. What about both of your eyeballs for $10 million, $100 million? No, your eyes are precious to you, but your eyes are just the window that your soul looks out through. How much more valuable is your soul than your eye? So people need to have that sense of urgency about the state of their soul. And we need to talk about what hell is really like. There are a lot of false conceptions of it out there. Uh, It is not a place of unbridled sin where you and your friends are going to be partying with the devil, drinking all you want, taking drugs, having sex, whatever. That's not what hell is like. It is a place of punishment, a place of torment, a place of fire where you'll spend eternity. I don't like talking about this, but we've got to say what the Bible says. We have to talk about it. And it's not even a place, this is, I even hear this from pastors. You don't want to be go, go to hell and be tortured by the devil and his demons, do you? Does the devil get to torture you in hell? Is that his domain? No, it's God's domain. That makes it even more frightening. Revelations 14, 10 and 11 puts it this way. It says he will also, this is talking about those who receive the mark of the beast. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. This is important because there's also that people talk about, instead of hell, they talk about being separated from God. Yes, we're separated from his goodness and grace and mercy but we're under the weight of his wrath. I would really discourage you from talking about separated from God because people who are unbelievers that hate his law want to be separated from God, but they don't understand what that entails. Does that make sense? So talk about hell and judgment, do not avoid making the person fearful. Fear can be used badly, but fear is not necessarily a bad thing. Like guilt and pain, it is a God-supplied warning system to wake us up and make us pay attention, to tell us that something is desperately wrong. Fear is not the ultimate goal, but it is and should be an appropriate motivator. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Or Matthew ten twenty eight. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh man, there's so much I could go over. But let's go from the bad news to the good news. We do need to help people feel the weight of the bad news, but we do not want to leave them without hope. So the good news, God is not only a just judge, but a loving father. And he demonstrated his love not by choosing to ignore our sins, which would make him unjust, but by paying for them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, the ultimate demonstration of both God's justice and hatred towards sin, and at the same time, the ultimate demonstration of his love and mercy. Think about how amazing it is that the God who created us would choose to come and live among us for our sake. I like to contrast Hebrews 1 with Philippians 2. Hebrews 1 describes Jesus this way. It said, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, And that he upholds the universe with the word of his power. That God, Philippians 2 says, did not, though he was in very nature God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped or held to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. That is a good God. He could have simply given us justice. Instead, at great cost to himself, he chose to offer mercy. Romans 1, or I'm sorry, Romans 5 says, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What an amazing thing. The cross can also be explained, and this will help people wrap their brains around what's going on here, as a legal transaction. The fine for our sin paid in Christ's blood. We can go through Isaiah 53, has a tremendous amount of, to say about this, but I like connecting with Colossians chapter 2. Once again, using the, uh, the uh, courtroom illustration Imagine somebody has that guilt for rape and murder, gets brought before a judge, all the evidence is in. The judge gives him the maximum sentence. He says, you need to pay a million dollar fine or you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. He doesn't have a million dollars. Just as he's about to be dragged away by the bailiff, someone he doesn't even know comes in and says, wait a minute, this man or this woman, they're my friend. I love them. I don't want them to go to jail for the rest of their lives. I'm going to pay their fine. Writes a check for a million dollars, hands it to the judge. The check's good. He's got the money in the bank. Now that criminal, he's still guilty. Can he go free? Why? There was a legal demand. The legal demand was satisfied. Colossians chapter 2 says, God satisfied the legal demand of the law. He did this. By nailing it to the cross. The cross is a legal transaction. Jesus, the God-man who is of infinite value, lived the perfect life and willingly died the perfect death, providing the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this is why Jesus Christ is the one way to right relationship with God. Why Christianity is exclusive. You'll get this question a lot if you share the gospel. How many of you have gotten that question before? Yeah, I, I kind of figured. Every other faith that exists is a due faith. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to fulfill this demand. You have to do this sacrifice. You have to go to this place you know, to do some kind of ceremony. Every other faith is due. Christianity is done. The price has been paid by Jesus perfectly. Perfectly. And the exclusivity is Christianity is not based on sincerity, it's based on truth. Be clear about the kind of claim that we're making. We're not saying we believe in Jesus Christ because this story makes us feel better about ourselves. It's either true or it's false. And scripture is demonstrably true. The message about Jesus Christ is demonstrably true. That's why Jesus can say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Or in John 8, where he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus didn't just make the claim, he proved the claim. And how did he prove the claim? Yeah, by dying on the cross and rising the third day. How many people have you heard that have claimed to be God or to speak from, From I mean, how many just in our lifetime? Jim Jones or, uh, or David Koresh or some of these people claim to be God speaking. And this has been happening throughout history. The difference is all of those people are in their graves and Jesus Christ is still alive. So the cross of Christ, the greatest gift and the great example of love and mercy that mankind will ever know. Finally, we're at repentance and faith. How do, how do we explain what salvation looks like? There are definitely some things I would not do. I would not recommend the sinner's prayer. I know I'm going to step on some toes saying that. I'm okay with that. Let me explain to you why. Now, is a simple prayer to God for salvation enough for somebody to be saved? Absolutely. Not a question. Do I know people who have been, prayed by, who have been saved by saying the sinner's prayer? Absolutely. But it's treated so lightly so often. You know, where you, somebody comes up to you without even asking any questions, finding out where they are spiritually. Hey, I'll say those few words. And then I've got my fire insurance, I don't have to worry about it. It's not a Harry Potter spell, folks. It's not repeat the words and poof, everything is perfect. It has to do with the condition of your heart before God. If this person is really feeling repentant for their sins, sure, something simple like that is going to do. But we want to be careful in using something like that. There's a reason why the fall away rate after big crusades is as high as it is. And that's one of those reasons. If the Holy Spirit is at work in them, this is the other thing. They won't need your help to pray the prayer. If the Holy Spirit is convicting them, they will pour out their hearts to God. So asking Jesus into your heart. Is that anywhere in scripture? No. I know what people are thinking when they say it. But I like sticking with biblical terminology, you know, keeping to what scripture says. Because once again, it gives people a false idea and sometimes a false sense of security. Telling people to accept Jesus. Isn't that the wrong way around? Isn't it us that need his acceptance? Stick with biblical terminology as much as possible. Repentance and faith. I'll use turn and trust when I do my paint messages. Turn from sin, trust in Jesus Christ. Different words, same same meaning. So stick with what the Bible says. So repentance, turning from sin. Repentance from sin is not moral perfection. None of us is going to be morally perfect this side of heaven. But it's a change in who you're following and trusting in. One of my former pastors described it as a, a change of allegiance. I like that. You're following yourself. You're following your sin. You repent. Old military term. It means about face. Take your eyes off your sin. Fix them on Jesus Christ. And then faith is putting the whole weight of your trust on Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. So Acts 20, 20 through 21, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this entails uh, knowledge of some facts. A lot of people are not going to have perfect knowledge of who Jesus Christ is when they come to faith. That's okay. The Holy Spirit will work in them. But essentially, it's knowledge of the facts, assent to those truths, And active trust placed in Jesus Christ. A a good analogy, once again, that uh, Ray Comfort uses is the parachute analogy. If you're at 10,000 feet and the pilot comes on the intercom and says, okay, all of our engines have failed. We're going down. There's a parachute under your seat. You need to use that to save yourself. Knowing that the parachute exists, knowing how the parachute works, those aren't going to help unless you strap the thing on your back. And put your whole weight, the whole weight of your trust in it. And that's what we need to do with Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. And from that comes the new birth. Being born again. Got to be careful because that's kind of a little Christian cliche too, isn't it? But it really is talking about a new birth. A mind and a heart changed by God. And that's what we want to see in the people that we're talking to. Um, Jesus said, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3.3. 3. Um, this reminds us again that salvation is a supernatural act of God, something that he does. Um, I like to go to Ezekiel 36. I think this describes really well what the salvation process looks like, or the changed heart, even though it's Old Testament. And it says this, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. From all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my laws. So I've eliminated the sinner's prayer. I've thrown some of these other stuff out. Well, how do you talk to somebody about coming to know Christ? Is there a prayer? There actually is. Psalm 51. If you guys are familiar with it, this is the the psalm that was written by King David after the incident with Bathsheba, after he had been called to account by the prophet of God, saying, you are the man, and he wrote that. I wish I I I had time to read it this morning. I don't. We're already running late. I would encourage you guys to read that. And I will read that to people on the street and saying, if this describes the condition of your heart, then I encourage you to call out to God for salvation and pray with them. Let them pray, pray with them. And then usually what I will do afterwards is I will pray for them after they've given their prayer, reiterating all the main points of the gospel in my prayer to make sure that it's clear to them. That way, if there is something that they missed, something that they're misunderstanding, they will get that going through their brain again. So encourage them to pray Review the truth of the gospel and then pray for them that God's spirit will work in them. So as we finish this morning, I want to finish the message in the way that I would finish a conversation on the street, because I don't know that everybody here knows God. I don't know that you're all Christians. I pray that you all are, but you may not be. So let me ask you, when we talk about repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, have you done that? Have you turned from your sins, changed your allegiance, changed who you're following after? Have you put the weight of your trust in Jesus Christ alone? See, every one of us has broken God's law. Everyone is guilty before him. And every sin, because God is a perfect judge, will be perfectly paid for. The question is, who pays? Who pays? Who pays for your sin? Somebody will. Either you will pay for your own sin, and that's what hell's about it's about right punishment for our willful rebellion against the King of the Universe. Or, you trust in God's goodness and the blood of Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life you should have lived and died the death that you deserve, and rose again to be your representative for Judgment Day. One day, I'm going to stand in heaven. I get to go to heaven. I don't deserve to go. I deserve to go to hell for my sins. But by God's grace, I get to be with him one day for eternity in worship of him. And that's what we were designed for, my friends. And on that day, I hope that I can see every one of you there as well. So if any of you have a doubt or a concern, you're not sure where you are, or maybe just have questions, maybe you're not there where you're ready to make that salvation confession yet but you have questions about who god is and what he's like please come and talk to me afterwards i'll spend as much time as i need to to help you answer those questions and if any of you want to be encouraged in sharing this message yourself or maybe want to join me on the street come and talk to me as well so thank you so much for your time guys really appreciate it god bless you all thank you for listening. If you'd like to invite Brenton or Dan to be a guest speaker at your church, please get in contact with us through
1: oacnorcal.org. And may God bless you as you continue to dwell on truth.